We're going to the book of Mark, chapter 5. And once you've found that, hold your finger there. Then we go into 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mark chapter 5, verse 1 to 3 reads, And when Jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, to the country of the Gadarenes, and when Jesus had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling, or he lived amongst the tombs, and no man could bind him, not even with chains, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. And in Second Corinthians, Therefore, if any man, and that word man means woman or man, be in Christ, the scripture tells us. He is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He may be seated. In the events leading up to our text, we find that Jesus has just entered into Capernaum after teaching the people many parables concerning the kingdom of God. The good news that Jesus had come to Capernaum spread like wildfire to the point that a certain Roman centurion heard of it and sent his friends to Jesus with a desperate message of help, beseeching Jesus that he would come without any delay to his house to heal his servant, that was at the point of death. While Jesus was on his way to the centurion's household that day, some of the centurion's friends came unto him and said, Master, trouble not thyself. My master, speaking of the centurion, he does not want you to enter into his house, not because of who you are, but because he just believes that his servant will be healed at your word. The Roman centurion that I speak about was a good man. He cared for his servant. He was deeply concerned for his servant's well-being to the point that he recognized that his servant was at the point of death. So he sent for Jesus, even though he was a Roman citizen. It's interesting to note in both the Gospel of Matthew and of Luke that the Roman centurion did not say that his servant was not worthy. But the centurion said that he, speaking of himself, was not worthy that Jesus should enter into his house to heal his servant. This tells me that this man had great faith in God, even though he was excluded from the promises of God. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that, that the centurion's servant was made whole from that very hour. As we progress in the events leading up to our text, we read that Jesus and his disciples have just entered into Simon Peter's ship and set sail for the country of the Gadarenes at Jesus' request. Not long after their departure, there arose a mighty tempest while they were in the midst of the sea. One would think that while this storm was raging to its fullness and their boat was being tossed about like a rag doll upon the crashing waves and the boisterous wind, that Jesus would have been awakened by it. Yet we read that Jesus was asleep on his pillow. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but if I'm in the boat and that boat starts rocking, I don't feel like sleeping. Praise God. 
When the disciples realized that their strength was almost gone, they came unto Jesus and awoke him, saying, Master, we are in jeopardy. The boat is about to sink. We can't do anything. Save us before we all perish. Jesus just stood up. Jesus just stood up. The very elements were at his attention. Just like a soldier when they are ready to salute their commanding officer. The wind and the raging sea were awaiting their creator's command. Jesus only spoke three words. Peace, be still. Three words brought peace to a storm that previously raged. Where only moments beforehand the disciples had given up hope and feared greatly for their lives. We don't serve a dead God, church. We serve an all-powerful God that holds us in the palm of His hands. You can trust Him. He's not going to let you go to one side. But if He's got a hold of you, He's going to bring you through to the end. When the sea and the wind had finally ceased from its raging, there was a great calm like they had never experienced before. The disciples were amazed to the point that they said one to another, what manner of man this is that the waves and the wind do obey him. They had all seen the miracles which Jesus had done on many, yet all of them were still amazed by Christ's power. At one point in time, the disciples found themselves in peril, fearing for their lives. Then they were amazed by Christ's power over the storm. Then somehow, while they were still in the midst of the sea and their eyes were fastened upon Jesus, they arrived at the seashore of Gadara. This is where we pick up our text that we read in Mark. This well-known narrative of the demon-possessed man from Gadara took place on the eastern seashore of Galilee. This account is only found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark and Luke. I have often wondered about this man who lived amongst the tombs that were in the country of the Gadarenes or the Gergesenes. Gergesha or Gadara were the towns that were in close proximity to each other. Both the Gospel of Mark and Luke refer to this area as the country of the Gadarenes, where the Gospel of Matthew refers to this country of the Gergesenes. When you read all three accounts, there seems to be a contradiction as to where this actually happened but they were two different names for the same region or city. The most interesting remains of Gadara today are its tombs, which dot the cliff's face for a considerable distance around the city. They are mainly on the northeast downward slope. These tombs are excavated in limestone rock and consist of many burial chambers of various dimensions for the bodies of the dead to be buried in. The scripture doesn't give us a specific time frame on how long this demon-possessed man lived amongst the tombs. Neither does it tell us how old he was or how he actually got there in the first place. We just read that he lived amongst the dead. When the men that were in the country of the Gadarenes tried to bind this demon-possessed man several times with shackles, but the chains and the shackles could not hold him. Nor could any man tame him, for his strength was not his own. Matthew's Gospels describe this, these evil spirits as being fierce and savage, that no man was able to pass by that way. 
This man who lived amongst the dead was tormented continually by these evil spirits day and night. His cries were severe and they were heard by many that lived in that region. No man could do anything to help him, nor can any man do anything to soften his cry for help. So with that thought in mind, I want to preach from this thought just for a little while by the help of the Lord. Stop living amongst the dead. Jesus is here. Praise God. We read throughout the scripture of many that wanted to be buried with their loved ones. Abraham purchased a cave in Machpelah for 400 pieces of silver from Ephron the Hittite or the sons of Heth. Abraham buried his wife Sarah in this cave when she was 127 years old. And we continue to read the accounts of Abraham's lineage. We find that Abraham died when he was 175. Genesis 25 verse 10 tells us that Abraham was buried in the same tomb as his wife Sarah was. The only real estate that Abraham ever owned was the tomb that he purchased from the sons of Heth for 400 shekels of silver. Even though he was promised all the land of Canaan for an inheritance. In Genesis 49, Jacob nearly has nearly reached the end of his life and he makes it very clear where he wants to be buried. Jacob did not want to be buried in the land of Egypt, but he wanted to be buried with his fathers Abraham and Isaac in the land of Canaan, in the land of promise. Jacob charged his sons and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the, in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. And there you will bury me also. After the death of Jacob, according to Genesis 35, verse 29, Joseph's brothers begin to fear, thinking that Joseph would hate them and pay them back for all the evil that they had committed against him, especially after they had rejected him as their brother and had sold him into slavery at the age of 17. But this was not God's plan. Joseph said unto his brethren, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? Or in other words, is it up to me to judge you or take the law into my own hands for what you have done unto me? But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Praise God. Not many years after the death of Jacob, Joseph's eyes are beginning to fade with many years. Joseph has endured much for God's purpose in the saving of his brethren, the children of Israel. Yet he is still in Egypt and he is ready to die. So Joseph made an oath with his brethren, stating that his bones were not to remain in Egypt, but the children of Israel were to take his bones with them after God's visitation, after God had delivered them from the bondage of Egypt and the taskmasters whip. Exodus chapter 13 verse 19 tells us that Moses took the bones of Joseph when they left Egypt for good. Sometimes we got to get out of the world for good. 
And we've got to get into His presence forever. Praise God. Joseph's bones were carried into the land of Shechem where they were later buried according to Joshua 24 verse 32. I want someone to hear the words of this preacher tonight. It still matters how you are buried and who you are buried with today. I'm going to repeat that. It still matters how you are buried and who you are buried with today. It might not matter to the world or to your friends or to the family or to the man next door or to whoever it is across the road, but it still matters to God. We must be buried in Jesus' name. We must be buried with Him if we want to go to that eternal city in the heavens. Hallelujah. All these great men of faith that we've just read about, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, were all buried in the land of promise. Why? Because they were looking for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. I'm not worried about the, the three-story mansions that are on in Apple Cross. I'm worried about the one that I'm going to be with. I'm worried about the city that my God has gone to prepare that place for me. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 13 tells us, that they all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. This world is not our home, church. We're only passing through. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16 tells us that they all desire a better country, even though God gave them victory over the enemy. He drove them out and He gave them their houses and their cattle and their sheep and their flocks and, and all the bits and pieces were provided. But they wanted something that God could give them even more. That was eternal. Hallelujah. That they all desire a better country. That is a heavenly and heavenly the patriarchs had a revelation of the promise of the, of, the, of the eternal glory of heaven. Because the scripture tells us plainly that God is not ashamed to be called their God. Seeing he has prepared for them a city. John 14.2 tells us Jesus speaking to his disciples after his betrayal. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And then there's a promise made to us. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. I want to go to that place where Jesus has prepared for us. Our eyes need to be upon Jesus today, saints of God. He's coming back. He's coming back. Your faith needs to be stirred. You need to be ready to meet the Lord when the voice of the archangel shouts. He's coming back for a church that is spotless, without blemish, without spot. We need to be ready, church. The trumpet's going to sound. And I want to hear that trumpet. 
We will see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Peter and John and Matthew and Paul, plus all those that have died in the Lord. Those that have gone on to the eternal reward. But most of all, we shall see Him as He is. We shall see Him face to face. We shall see Him, church. I want to see Jesus. We will see the one that loved us before the foundation of the world. We will see the one who laid down His life for all of us in this room and the whole wide world in total. Those that have gone on, those that are not born. We will see the one who humbled Himself and came in the form of a servant to save us. We will see the one that was beaten for us, church, even though he was an innocent man. Pilate said three times that he found no fault in him, even though he had been examined by scourge. We will see the one that rose again the third day. We will see the, we will see the one that the Roman soldier testified of, referring to Jesus when he was upon the cross. Surely this was a righteous man. Hallelujah. Why don't we just worship the Lord just for a moment. We praise you, Lord. We rejoice in you. Hallelujah. Oh, God, that our eyes would be upon you, Lord. Oh, Lord, the advent is soon and very soon, oh, God. That we would not grow weary in well-doing, oh, God. But our eyes would be upon you this day, oh, Lord. In the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus, hallelujah. We will see the one that conquered the grave for us. We will see the one that washed away our sins by his own blood. Not some second person or third, but by his own blood. He robed himself in flesh. He humbled himself. He became obedient even unto the death of the cross. We will see a Redeemer face to face. Praise God. We will see the one who filled us with His Spirit. Romans 8 verse 9 tells that if any man have not the Spirit of God indwelling in him, he is none of his. The Holy Ghost is moving in this place tonight. Hallelujah. Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Revelation chapter 20 verse 6 tells us, Blessed and holy are those that have part in the first resurrection. I want to be in that first resurrection. That's my heart. He laid down his life that we could have life in Him forever. We're only going to get one chance at this. You've got to make your, your calling and your election sure. Tomorrow is not promised, but today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Heed the words of this preacher tonight. God is coming back at, at a time when we least expect Him. It's not time to become complacent in your, in your pursuit for God. There will be a resurrection from the dead, whether unto life or whether unto damnation. 
And if the Lord tarries, some of us here will pass from this life to the next. But this natural life, after this natural life, sorry, cometh the judgment. We must make sure today that we are ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ when He comes. We must be buried with Christ if we desire to inherit the city that He has prepared for us. We must be buried with Jesus. We cannot have Jesus unless we first die to ourselves. My dear pastor, Pastor Glass, a great man of God, and a dear friend to many once told me when I first came to the Lord, some things must die. Some things must be put to death before you can have new life. We can't be buried with Him until we first die to self through repentance. We don't have to fear the grave anymore as long as we have been buried with Him. Romans 6.4 tells us, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also should we walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also in the likeness of His resurrection. Paul said to the Corinthian church, If any man, woman, or child be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. The way we need to live, the things that we need to do, things that we're involved with, I was involved in, in, in drugs and doing things. But when I came to Jesus, those things had to die so I could have Jesus ruling and reigning in my life. All things become new. Why live amongst the dead of this world? We're in the world, but we're not of the world. When Jesus has given us the promise of eternal life, there will be no more sorrow there. No more pain, no more sickness, no more anxiety, no more depression, no more death, no more tears, no more financial problems, no more heartaches, no more uncertainties. Just praise and praise and more praise and praise and worship. And praise and worship throughout all eternity, world without end. Jesus is here, brother. Jesus is here, sister. Someone needs to know that Jesus is the answer to every question that you ask. Doesn't matter how big or how small it is. Ask Jesus and He will give you the answer. It's time to stop living amongst the dead because Jesus is here. Hallelujah. I love doing little things. Everybody's probably thinking, what's he doing behind there? What's that noise? This is a chain. As you can tell, it's, uh, it's pretty heavy. My wife um, didn't want to lift it up and carry it for me. But this chain, just for an example, if I was to lift it on both ends of an engine in a car, it would be able to be lifted out of the car, and then put onto the ground. Now, if I was to get this chain and 
somehow make the links smaller. It would still lift the engine out of the car and put it onto the ground. Now, in our beginning text, when the man was shackled and he had chains around him, it said that the chains could not hold him. Now, they may not be like this chain, but they were chains. Regardless on which way we look at it, they were chains. That's what the scripture tells us, and they were shackles. But this man was able to pull those shackles apart because he was possessed by an unclean spirit. But sometimes when we come into life, it might not be a physical chain that you see. It might be a spiritual chain. And you're walking like it's a ball and chain on your leg. And Jesus is standing over there, but you're still in the tombs. You're trying to get out of the things that have happened in the past. And you're looking through that, for that breakthrough that, that you want God to give you in your life. But the spiritual chains may be unforgiveness. Maybe hurt. Maybe you have ought against a brother. Maybe there's unrepented sin. It's like a ball and chain and you just cannot get to Jesus for that very reason. But the scripture says when this possessed man saw Jesus, even the devils, who the scripture says that this man had a legion of devils. A legion is about 6,000 devils. So you imagine 6,000 devils dwelling in you. And they were able to hold you back. But the Bible says that they weren't able to hold him back from him running to Jesus. But he was able to break three of those chains, whatever was holding him back, and he was able to run to Jesus. And it didn't matter. But he got his miracle. And someone's going to get a miracle in this place today. Someone's going to get a breakthrough in Jesus' name because our God does not fail. His word does not return void. And he's able to do super abundantly above all that we dare ask him and more and more. Hallelujah. Praise God. I've been there in spiritual bondage. But when Jesus came into my heart and flooded my soul with his wonderful and glorious presence, nothing can hold me back. My eyes are fixed upon Jesus, the one who can calm the storm and the raging sea. Keep your eyes on Jesus, church. He's coming back soon. Let's just clap under the Lord one more time. Lord, we praise you. We rejoice in your goodness, O oh God. We thank you, O oh God, for your greatness and your power. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. So in conclusion, let's see if I can put all this together. Mark paints a grim picture of this demon-possessed man that we read about in our text. He has lost hope. He has been overcome by these demonic spirits. His cries were heard from afar, yet there was no one that was able to help him or deliver him from his torment. 
When Jesus arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, Jesus was on a mission. He knew when he was on the other side of the lake that there was a man who lived amongst the dead. Jesus knew his name and how he got there in the first place. Mark tells us, as I said before, about a a legion is about 6,000 devils. Luke tells us that many devils had entered into this man. Yet when Jesus stepped out of the boat, something broke in the spirit world. The legion of devils knew that Jesus had arrived. They knew that their time had come to an end. The demons feared that Jesus would send them into the abyss or the deep, which for them would mean eternal torment and the end of their freedom to serve Satan on earth. They knew who Jesus was and they confessed that he was the Son of God. They also knew what Jesus could do to them. Some people criticized Jesus for destroying 2,000 pigs that day or swine. Jesus could have sent the demons anywhere. But when he chose to send them into the pigs, he accomplished several things. Firstly, he demonstrated that the demons were real and that the deliverance for this man was genuine. Secondly, Jesus gave vivid proof that Satan is a destroyer of mankind and that to Satan, a pig is as good as a man, especially if we surrender our lives to him. John 10.10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I am come that they might have life and may have it more abundantly. What a warning this was to all those that witnessed this. But, what, but unfortunately, they did not take heed to what they had just seen because they asked Jesus to depart from them. They should have invited Jesus to them, not tell him to go. Finally, the destructions of the swine revealed the spiritual condition of the people of that region because they would rather have their swine than have their Savior. Money to them was more important to them than the saving of one soul. What is more important to you today? Jesus or something else? I'm still preaching on this thought, church. Time's running out. Stop living amongst the dead. Get away from the tombs and the past. Leave it behind. Forget those things. Push towards the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Because once that trumpet sounds, only the dead in Christ, those that have been buried with him and those that are alive in Christ shall be raised up to meet the Lord in the air. It matters how and who we are buried with today. We must be born again of water and of spirit to enter into his kingdom. Our forefathers made sure that they were buried in the land of promise, which is a type of heaven. 6,000 devils could not hold this man back. Neither were they they able to stop this man from running to Jesus. So what's stopping you today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah.